we're in this sermon series. We're in this sermon series, this conversation that, that I've talked about. We'll talk about that more in a minute. This conversation that we started last week that we're going to continue over the next few weeks. And here's the big question that we're talking about. Here's the big question we're talking about. The question is, who does God want us to be? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, as I do, and as I know many of you in the room do, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, who does God want you to be in a secular and divided culture? If there's anything that I think we've all felt over the past 20 months, those of us that have been living in this culture for the past 20 months, some of you have felt this beyond 20 months. Uh, some of us feel it more acutely now than we have in the past. But it just feels like uh, we're walking into a culture and living out, trying to live out faith in a culture that probably has always been more secular than we've kind of given it credit for maybe sometimes as Christians, but yet is, is a secular culture. And also one thing we've paid attention to and we've all felt over the last 20 months is that it is also a divided culture in a number of different ways. And there's all sorts of ideas and responses that we see out there as to who followers of Jesus are to be in the midst of all of that. We're asking the question, who does God want us to be? And as a part of these sermons throughout these weeks, we're ending our time answering a couple of questions. We are also starting this Tuesday going to be filming a larger discussion with our pastors and some of the other people that participate in our sermon planning meetings around the questions that are being brought in on, th on this number that you can see on the screen here uh, that are not being answered on Sunday morning quite simply because we don't have the time to do it. We're trying to start conversations on Sunday morning that last into uh, the, the church, having conversations with one another, and then also larger conversations that we'll have throughout the week. I want to talk this morning about attention Attention that all of us feel, I bet, especially if you call yourself a Christian. And that tension is the tension between what happens in here. I mean, in here when we gather, when churches gather, and what happens out there. You feel that tension? What happens in here when we gather and we talk about God and we talk about how he wants us to live? And then what happens out there when you go into your classroom and when you go into work and when you go into your house for some of us? And everything that we've talked about in here is disagreed with and is lived out completely differently out there. How do we deal with that as Christians? There is this entire tension that we try to deal with where we don't want what's happening out there to affect too much what's happening in here, and we want what's happening in here to affect what's happening out there, but it's so difficult sometimes, isn't it? We don't want what's out there to take away what happens in here. We want what's in here to positively impact what's out there, but it's so challenging sometimes to figure out how the two relate. Some of you know that, that uh, I have a little side gig to ministry where I, I do some learning and development, facilitation and training in companies, mostly in the Boston area, and I was standing in a lobby about 10 days ago of a company in Cambridge, and I was meeting someone I'd be working with for the very first time. So as a pastor, I spent a lot of time in here. But in this moment, I was out there. And the person came up to me, and I didn't really know them, had only met them very briefly through email. And they said, 
Now, I see on your LinkedIn profile that you have a theology background and that you're a pastor. What's that all about? <laughs> now, in here, if any of you ask me that question, that's a super safe question. I got no problem. I'll just go on. You'll probably regret that you asked it after 45 minutes of me telling you everything about my theology background and what it's like to be a pastor. But out there, it feels different. And you know what that's like. If someone that attends our church that just couldn't make it this morning says to you tomorrow, hey, how was church yesterday? He says, no problem, you talk about that. But if your boss asks you tomorrow, how was your church yesterday? It feels different, doesn't it? Are they friendly? Is this friendly? Is this, is this going to be used against me? Uh, it's, it's a different question. And I felt that tension just about 10 days ago. And I know you feel that too. And so, of course, I said very openly, yeah, I'm pastor of a great church in Belmont, just down the road here from Cambridge. It's a fantastic place. But the whole time I'm wondering in my head, is this building credibility or am I losing credibility right now? I have no idea. But what I do know is it feels very different in here than it does out there. And the question we're going to deal with this morning is how do we manage that tension? Because sometimes we manage manage it really well. And sometimes in our zeal for what's out there not to impact what's in here and for what's in here to make a difference out there, we actually find ourselves as Christians handling this tension quite poorly. And I think over the last 20 months, as probably you do, we've seen the best and the worst of that locally and nationally and internationally. So how do we handle it well? We said last week that whenever we experience these tensions about who God wants us to be, that there can be a variety of responses, but we've, we've kind of grouped everyone into four different responses. That for some of us, we fall into hopeless compromise, that as we're living in this world, rather than trying to change what's out there, we just, we just kind of let what's out there change us. Some of us move into fearful isolation. In fact, we don't want what's out there to change us, so we just stay in here. Some of us move into restless revolt where what happens in here is more like the building of an army that then goes out there and tries to take over. But I think God calls us to something different, and we're calling this faithful engagement. We're going to talk about this for the next couple of moments. And I think as, I, as we look at 1 Peter and we're asking this question, who does God want us to be? I said this last week, that 1 Peter 2 verse 17 over the last 10 months for me has become my go-to verse to remind myself who God wants me to be when tensions are high and it's really difficult to figure out how to live in a secular and divided culture. And 1 Peter, I need things simple. Some people like, like things complex. I need things super simple. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, to me, is a really simple, straightforward way to answer that question. And Peter says four things in that verse. He says these four things. He says, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the emperor. And starting today, over the next four weeks, we're going to take each one of these phrases and talk about it. I'm glad Peter put honor the emperor at the last 
I, I thank him for that. It really keeps the tension building in our sermon series. So you keep coming back to that week. But we're going to talk about each and every one of these each week. And this morning, as we talk about honor everyone, I think that tension of what's happening in here and what's happening out there is so important to think through. How do we honor everyone and respect everyone? I actually, we use the English Standard Version on Sunday mornings here at Mount Hope. I actually like the way the NIV version translate this, translates this phrase, phrase. The NIV says, show all respect to everyone. When what's happening in here is so different than what's out there, how do you maintain integrity around what's happening in here and yet honor everybody and show all respect to people who are out there? That is a really challenging thing to do. And Peter, he gets a little bit more specific in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, a little bit before this verse, in verses 11 and 12. This is what he says. Consider what he says here. Beloved, that's you and me, fellow Christians. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. One of the things that I hear Peter telling you and me here is that there is a way to honor everyone and live the way that God calls you to live. There is a way to honor everyone and do exactly what God says to do. It's not easy. It can be a little messy sometimes, but Peter's saying to the Christians in the first century, and he's saying to you and to me. And let's not forget, if we think we live in a secular and divided culture, our friends from first century Rome, they really had a challenge. We'll talk more about it in that Honor the Emperor week, but maybe you want to go back to your first century history books. And look at how Rome was run at that time. And here Peter is saying there is a way for us to do exactly what God wants us to do. Live the lives that God wants us to live. And at the same time, show respect and honor to everyone. Those words that he uses to talk to the Christians. Beloved Sojourners and exiles are so important. These are words to you. These are your words. Beloved, God loves you. In fact, earlier in chapter 2, Peter says that God honors you. He uses that word for you. That God shows you honor by sending his son to die on the cross for your sin and, and opening up the door to relationship with him. That God honors you in that way. Beloved, that's you. But you're also sojourners and exiles. Sojourners are traveling through. 
They're on their way. And you and I live here, but we're still moving forward. We're on our way somewhere else. Our home exists outside of this world in eternity. It doesn't mean that we don't settle down and impact this world, but we recognize that we're traveling through. There's an old bluegrass gospel hymn, right? This world is not my home. I'm just traveling through. That's the idea of being a sojourner. And that's you and me if we're followers of Jesus Christ. We're on our way, but we're also exiles, Peter calls us. And that does mean that we live away from home. So we're both living in a home away from home right here on this earth and are supposed to have an impact. Even as the truth is, we're moving through. And because we're beloved, and because we're on our way home, we have to live the lives that God calls us to live. We have to do what God calls us to do. And so often the tension between what's out there and in here is so strong that we stop doing what God calls us to do in order to ease the tension. Our lives start looking like the lives of those in the culture around us, specifically around things like areas of purity and sexuality and all of those things. Our lives start to look like the world around us, and we do it in a way to try and ease the tension a little bit, to lessen that. But see, Peter says there's a way to actually to honor and respect everyone and still live the way God calls you to live. The best way I can summarize what Peter is saying here, and I tried to make this sentence as short as possible, but as you're going to see in a moment, I didn't do very well. The best way I think Peter is calling us to live is that as people who are involved in faithful engagement, I'm going to ask if you can put that slide up on the screen of that longer sentence because I can't memorize it and I need to read it is this is what I think Peter's saying. Honor everyone by doing what God says to do in such a way that even though everyone may not like what you do, they might one day honor the God who tells you to do it. Live your life in such a way that you're doing what God says to do but you're doing it in a way that keeps the door open for those people to say, I don't like the way you live, but I got to tell you, I got a lot of respect for you. I like you. I don't like what you do. I don't understand it. I think you're nuts. I think you're backwards. I think you're crazy. I think you're believing a book that has nothing to do with our world today. But I'll tell you this. I like you. I think you're a good person. And you know what? If you're that way, maybe there's something to this God that you serve. That's what Peter's calling the early Christians to. That's what Peter's calling us to. And so often we can find ourselves trying to ease the tension between what happens in here and out there by compromising and finding ourselves doing the things that other people are doing. But that's no way to ease the tension, Peter says. You have to continue to do the things that God calls you to do. You're beloved. You're in exile. You're a sojourner. Don't make the mistake of becoming like the culture around you. But at the same time, we can make the mistake of trying to ease that tension between the in here and out there by either isolating ourselves from everything that's out there 
so that we don't get negatively influenced or taking what happens in there and then running out there and demanding that everybody else do what we do. Peter says that ain't going to work either. So how are we supposed to live? How do we manage this tension? I want to share with you this morning something that I came across a few months ago. In fact, it was in a book uh, that was recommended to me by Gene Breitenbach, who's, who attends this church, and he's one of our global outreach partners, so he and his wife Lynn are ministering in a different, a different uh, congregation this morning. But the book is called Faithful Presence. It's by a man named David Fitch. And in the book, he suggests that for Christians, our faith is meant to be lived in three very different circles. The first circle, he says, is the close circle. Not the closed circle, but the close circle. This is the close circle. This is the gathering of the brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not closed. If you're not a Christian, we're glad you're here this morning. You get to come in. Come be a part of us. Come see what we do. Come hear about the God that we serve. But this is the close circle. We do things here that we don't do other places. And this is why over the next few weeks, we're going to continue to take communion here and we're going to continue to have times of prayer together. And I know sometimes it can be awkward, especially when we haven't done it in two years. Prayer used to be a big part of our gathering uh, before COVID when we were first planning this church and it kind of went away over time. I really felt convicted it needs to come back. And as we just talked about earlier, the close circle should be a place where the veneer comes off. And it's not a big deal. If you need to come up and ask for prayer on a Sunday, great. So does everyone else in the room. I wish I could turn around and ask someone else for prayer this morning. But there are certain things that we do, like taking the Lord's Supper, like praying for one another. They only happen in the close circle, and they ought to be normative in our gatherings. That's why we reopen the fellowship hall at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Not because we think people need more coffee and more snacks, but because we need spaces of close circles where brothers and sisters in Christ are getting together and encouraging one another. And I think if we've lost something over the last 20 months, this is what we've lost. And eventually it's going to be a real harm to the church because we need this circle. When we were on sabbatical, we were on sabbatical for supposed to be nine Sundays. It ended up being 10 Sundays, thanks to COVID-19 finding its way into our house. And so between our quarantining uh, around COVID and between just being away on the weekends, one thing pastors realize on sabbaticals is that it's great to go away for the weekend. Every time you tell me you're going away for the weekend, I think to myself, aren't they serious about church? And then I'm on sabbatical. I'm like, we can go away for the weekend. This is awesome. So, <laughs> so I'm a little bit looser on that now. But, <laughs> but there were six Sundays, six Sundays that we participated in church virtually because we were away for the weekend and we just still wanted to participate in a church that we were familiar with or because we were quarantining at home for a number of weeks and that's how we had to participate. Here's what happened. I tuned in. I watched the service. And then I thought to myself, I don't think I really missed anything. 
the kids sang, I sang. I heard the sermon. It was great. I got everything I needed, and I didn't have to leave the house. And I think there's something wrong with that. As much as I'm grateful for the technology, and as much those of you who I've talked to over the last few weeks, who because of for different reasons are still not joining us in person, that I want to be very clear, that's okay. But we need the close circle. And when we gather in the close circle, we need to be doing those things that only happen in the close circle, like talking to each other, like praying for one another, like taking the Lord's Supper together. So you can expect over the next few weeks, these things are going to be happening. And I hope you'll come and participate. The close circle is so important. But David Fitch says there's also should be a place called the dotted circle in every Christian's life. In the close circle, Jesus hosts. Jesus is our host. His presence is here. The Holy Spirit is here. And we come and receive. In the dotted circle, the Christians are the hosts. We are the hosts. And I got to be honest with you. This is the circle that I need more of in my life. The dotted circle is when Christians create space where people who do not know God and people who do know God get to come together. And when I watch Jesus's ministry, I think Jesus spent most of his three years of ministry in the dotted circle, bringing those groups together. I'll give you a story of the dotted circle that happened just this week. Down in our basement underneath this room, we provided space for a place called Cataluma House and want to store different supplies. And one of the things that's happening right now in and around that ministry is that Afghani refugees who are coming to the U.S. are, are being cared for and helped to be housed by this Christian group of people. So just this last week, because we created space in our basement for things like diapers and toiletries... Greg Detweiler, who's one of the global outreach partners that we support, he brought a woman uh, who I'll, I'll call Camilla to our building. She's from Afghanistan, and her and her husband had helped with, they were one of the tens of thousands that helped with U.S. troops and U.S. NGOs over the last number of years. And so they were brought to the U.S. for two months. They lived at an Air Force base in Texas in a tent. And then they came to the Boston area where they've been housed by followers of Jesus. Another Muslim family, and they've seen and experienced the worst of radical Islam in their culture. Camilla came into this building, came downstairs, got some supplies, came upstairs because she wanted to see the whole of the building. And Greg said they walked into this room, and she looked up at the ceiling, which is the best part of this room. <laughs> and Greg said she was kind of in awe of everything that she was seeing. And she turned to Greg and said, I really want to worship here. Would I be welcome? And Greg said, absolutely. And I don't know where God will take that or what he'll do with all of that. But that's the dotted circle. Creating space where people that know Jesus Christ and people that, they, that don't can interact. And we need more of this in our homes, in our church. The last piece, and this is what is so helpful to me, 
is that David Fitch says our faith is lived out in the half circle, and the half circle is out there. And when we're in the half circle, this is, this is the radical idea to me that I think is so helpful. When we're in the half circle, we're not the hosts. Jesus is not the host. We are the guests. And we bring everything that we have and all that we believe and all that we do. We don't change who we are. We don't change what we believe. We don't change how we act. But we go into those places as guests. The best place I can think of where this happened in my life and I wish I had, had more stories and they were more recent, but this is the one that sticks out to me. When I first got out of seminary, um, I had fully intended to be full-time in ministry, but God gave me a job full-time in sales. And I was working for that, you know, that company with the big brown trucks that brings you all their Amazon packages? I was working for them. And I was on a sales team and we did sales with all the big businesses in our area. And my, my boss my boss, um, she was very uncomfortable the first time I joined the team. She didn't get to choose that I was on her team. She was told that I was on her sales team. The reason she was uncomfortable is because I had just gotten out of very conservative evangelical seminary. And she was very open, lesbian, married to another woman. And she did not think this was going to work at all. But I was on the sales team. I was a guest as a Christian in this world. And you know what happened is a, a number of months, I'll make it as short as possible, a number of months later she called me into her office and she sat me down and she said, I got to be honest with you, I didn't think this was going to work. I said, why would this not work? And she said something to the effect of, because I know where you come from and I know what you think. And everyone that I've ever had to deal with at work or in my personal life, it has not gone well when they come from where you come from and when they think what you think. And I said to her something like, listen, I don't think there's any reason that I can't respect you and your job as my sales manager and that we can't work together. A couple of months later, I had the opportunity to preach at Mount Hope. And this was very early on. I think I was like the part-time youth pastor, and Pastor Bob Crosby was still our senior pastor, if anyone remembers the Crosbys. And so uh, he gave me the opportunity to preach on Sunday morning. Somehow, someone in my sales team figured out that I had preached at my church on Sunday morning. And we were sitting in the sales office, and there were 10 salespeople in the sales office, and there was my manager, and we all kind of sat in this giant open space. And someone said, I want to hear the sermon. And I thought, oh, boy. I'm like, I don't think you do. They're like, no, we do. And everyone else started speaking up. I want to hear it. I want to hear it too. My manager, I want to hear it. And so I kid you not. HR would have lost their minds if they were there. <laughs> we put a laptop in the center of the room, played the recording from my sermon two days earlier, three days earlier, whatever it was, and I had to sit there in the sales office just praying that this would go okay. And as we updated our calendars and as we put in all our information for our sales calls, 
we listened as a sales team to the sermon that I had preached at Mount Hope a few days earlier. That's the best example I have of just being a guest. I tried to be a good guest. I didn't compromise how I live. I didn't compromise my belief. But you know what it did? It opened up the door to an opportunity. Peter calls you and me and God calls us to live in such a way that we do what God calls us to do, but we do it in a way that it keeps the door open. So the people that may not like what we do, one day might come to honor and respect the God who calls us to do it.